Marini's Media. Heard the one about the captain, the vice chairman and the journalist? No, you haven't, but you're about to. People fitting all those descriptions are on the pod this week, you see. It's not the setup to a joke. This is the Totally Football League Show. Yes, hello listener, Matt Davis-Adams talking at you as we gather for our weekly examination of all things EFL. Not all things, some things, the main things. Of course, we have pundits on board. They'll be picking the back half of their League Two teams for the season later. But let's welcome them to the party first. My first guest, not only the Transportation Policy Manager at Bath and North East Somerset Council, he's also capable of lighting up Roots Hall with his boots, or he was, some years ago. The three points were wrapped up with Adrian Clark's perfect 25-yard curly into the top corner. Pick that one out. Pick that one out, Adrian Clark. Uh, describe that goal for those listeners who won't be putting Southend United season highlights 1997-98 into YouTube anytime soon. Oh dear. Yeah, no, it was my first EFL goal, so it was one to remember. It's actually, def- I found it this week on on YouTube. Uh, it's the first time I've seen it since it left my left boot, which is which is very <laughs> exciting. Um, yeah, it was um, Mike Marsh, just, just sort of, uh, it was a turnover. Mike Marsh slipped me in. Good first touch, sort of fooled the defender. He, he went walk about. I loved Sam's description where he said, I'm assuming he did his cruciate. I love that. Um, he went tumbling and then I just bent it in the top corner. It was, yeah, it was, it was, every now and again, they didn't go over the stand roof. That's all I'll say. Uh, and on that occasion, it didn't. Uh, eight minutes, 12 seconds into that particular YouTube video, if you want to, to look it up. It was a belter. Uh, listener, you can put a tick next to the box marked tenuous South End reference on your Totally Bingo card. Uh, alongside Adrian, can you believe it's 17 years ago tomorrow, brackets as we record, close brackets, since he sealed victory for Swindon against Plymouth at the county ground by bagging the second in a 2-0 win. Uh, still counting his sleep per night in minutes, it's Sam Parkin. <laughs> Hello, Matt. How you doing? I'm good. So I watched that goal because it is on the internet but it doesn't have commentary with it so we can't play it in so maybe you could talk us through it I think it was Steph Miliranzi who is a Brazilian lad and probably one of the best players I played with one of my best friends as well he was very elegant he played me an inside right channel and I believe it was Graham Coughlin who was tracking my run and he was big news at the time everyone fancied him to go and have a, a top career and he went I think he played a long time in the championship but anyway I out muscled him put, put him on the deck and then uh, I think I shanked the finish but it went off inside the near post just yeah, to seal the a 2-0 on its way in a um, bit of yeah. a low-key celebration given the um, significance of the goal but you know it was, it, I, I kind of got the impression you you were thinking I'd do that all the time don't really need to go mad I, I think it was goal. I think the season was over. It was about five or six games before the end of the season. We weren't going to make the playoffs, so it was just totting up the tally. Well, I was going to ask you which current EFL manager was in the Plymouth side that famous day, but you just given it away. It was uh, Graham Coughlin. Right, coming up, we'll be hearing from late Orient captain Joby McEnough. We'll speak with Tranmere's Nicola Palios on ending the season and the Athletics' Paul Taylor about Nottingham Forest. They have the back-to-back European Cup successes. But first, this... 
So whilst elite football in England remains suspended because of you-know-what, there has been some news EFL-wise since last we spoke. The EFL chairman Rick Parry announced last week the intention to stream every game live once the season does eventually start again. That's a consequence of games being played behind closed doors, which we're going to have to get used to for the foreseeable. The 16th of May still being mooted as the date for players to return to training. Social distancing will surely still need to be observed, so who knows how that's going to work. Lee Bowyer certainly doesn't think it's realistic. Uh, Parry also said in a letter sent out to clubs that they'll need to be ready at relatively short notice, but need to consider public perception with regards to training. I want to talk um, to you guys about the impact of this on players as you have been. Clarkie, will they actually want to return to work? I mean, it's not going to be like, yes, you are guaranteed that this is safe. You're not going to catch it and pass it on to your family by the time that they're proposing. It's a good question. I think everybody's different. Um, most players will want to because it's it's what they do, isn't it? It's their vocation in life playing football. They'll be itching to get back. But but those with families at the moment feel very safe. They're in their own little bubble, aren't they? They know they probably haven't got COVID-19. They know their loved ones haven't. But then once you step out into the, the wider world and mix with others, and let, let's get this right, you're not going to be able to self-isolate in, in training. Um then then you do run that risk, don't you? I know that every test will be taken, I'm sure, to make sure that, that, that everyone's sort of healthy. But but yeah, it's it's a it's a problem and some players may may not fancy it. And and I would understand that. It still feels a bit bit early to me, given given where we are with the crisis, given the amount of people that are dying every single day. To, 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 to be back in training in, in what, three weeks' time feels too soon. But look, let's see. Sam, do you think you can even do training that's of any benefit to sort of tactics and formations and stuff if, if you have to keep in groups or keep apart from people? Surely that means it's, it's going to be virtually impossible to do style of play, shape, all that kind of thing. Yeah, really difficult. And, you know, Adrian will know that... The football fitness is so different from what you can do by yourself in the gym or, or running on the roads. I mean, you're getting up for a header, then you're doing a, a long run, then you're doing a short sprint, you're changing direction. You know, as soon as you go back into full-time training after you've been doing a period of rehabilitation, it takes you, you know, a couple of weeks to get up to speed. So they're going to need a few weeks fundamentally to get themselves fit. Then they'll need some tactical work. Um, yeah, you have to do it together in the group, really. So that is very difficult. And I thought it was really interesting what Lee Bowyer said, and I'm kind of in that that camp, having just had my first child as well. He spoke about a couple of his players who have got uh, pregnant partners, and I know we've all got our concerns and all got our worries, but you know, to have a relatively stress-free labour, uh, well, I did anyway, not my partner, but to get through <laughs> that and to get him home safely was just such a relief. And I can't imagine if we were a month behind the amount of strain it would be putting on us, our relationship, um, you know, really tough. So I thought Bowie spoke from the heart and I thought he was pretty realistic that there's going to be a split in in every club's dressing room. And that's completely up to the players, the individual players. If they don't want to go training, if they don't feel it's safe, that's their prerogative. Yeah, here, here on that one. We have heard talk, haven't we, Matt, of, of quarantines, of, of players and teams being put into to camps, especially if the season can be congested into a month or, f- or five weeks. Now, again, 
health wise that 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 takes that that risk away but then will will footballers want to be away from their loved ones for for four or five weeks it's 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 a really complicated issue i don't think either scenario is ideal that's for sure maybe that might be the best method in terms of of protecting the families of footballers Let, let's hope no one has it and that everything goes according to plan but but yeah to quarantine the teams might be the the only way we shall see. Well, there's still some debate amongst clubs as to whether it would be better to end this season now. Um, some viewpoints from across the AFL include Andy Holt of Accrington Stanley. He's in favour of, of ending it now. He says the income from live streams will be negligible. Uh, Rob Quigg, the Wickham owner, feels the same. But, but Dale Vince of Forest Green Rovers disagrees. He points out that if you do play the games behind closed doors, that there are far fewer costs for the clubs to incur. Uh, he also quite rightly I think points out that this may very well be the scenario at the start of next season whenever that is too uh, there's also talk of a salary cap too but but we'll talk more about this later with uh, Nicola Palios but before we do that let's head to the championship you're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill Championship headlines. Charlton continue to Charlton as the EFL investigate possible misconduct with regard to the takeover by ESI. To whom Namir is yet to provide proof of necessary funds and former directors Matt Southall and Jonathan Hellier are being investigated too. The Charlton Supporters Trust says the very existence of the club is under threat if the takeover isn't ratified soon. A five-year-old Leeds fan offered his £15.07 to buy Ben White from Brighton, only to be told that White is an integral part of the Seagulls' plans moving forward. Worth a try. Forest defender Joe Worrell says that completing the season is non-negotiable. It has to happen. More on Forest momentarily. And Bristol City players have agreed wage deferrals for three months to help the club out. Well, one club that definitely don't want the season to end prematurely are the two-time European champions Nottingham Forest, who I shall speak of neutrally for the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, here with all the latest on what's happening Trent side from The Athletic, it's Forest reporter Paul Taylor. Paul, we've heard from Joe Worrell over the past few days that, that he wants the season to be completed. Forest in the playoff places as things stand, so presumably that's the uh, the sentiment being echoed by the club. Yeah, very much so. I mean, the players I've spoken to as well, I spoke to Ryan Yates a few days ago and he was very much echoing that sentiment and it's not really a surprise is it the fact is is that the Forest have probably got the best chance of getting into the playoff places since Billy Davis's second spell you, you think they're on course to finish in the top six and there's going to be nobody at the city ground that wants to see that opportunity slip through through something that's completely out of their hands you know we're, we're all trying to cope with this terrible situation and, and football's not a, a big thing in the scheme of things but when you focus on Nottingham Forest and their opportunity this season, it, it's it's it would be awful if if they were to, in sporting terms, it'd be awful if they were to miss out on a playoff place through this. Paul Forrest have furloughed some, some of the non-playing staff. Would it be right to say they're actually in a decent position in in Championship terms because they've got the backing of Marinakis, who's extremely wealthy? It, it's not they're not in a similar position to say Derby or somebody else in the league who, whose finances aren't quite as healthy. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I wouldn't claim to be an expert on Maranakis's personal finances. You know, his money, uh, much of his industry, much of the businesses he owns are based on the shipping industry. And whilst I imagine there's a large part of that that's that's still vital and still very necessary, given that, you know, people are going to, on a very basic level, need things to be taken around the world. Uh, I, I don't honestly know how his own personal business businesses have been impacted. So I don't know how his own personal finances are. I don't know 
whether he's been hit by this himself personally or not. It, it's hard to say. I, what I do know is that Forest are very much a community-based club. They, they, they think that the football club should be the heart of things. They do it that way in Olympiacos very much. They feed homeless people every day out there. They, they're they very intertwined with the local community and schools in particular, where they've paid for a lot of schools to be refurbished in Athens. And they, they want to put themselves at the centre of the community in Nottingham in the same way. And I, I don't think they would have taken that decision lightly at all. They, they regard... Forest, they see it as being a responsibility running a football club and, and and being the kind of central pivot of the community, if you like. And I don't think they wanted to do they will have wanted to do anything that would have would have harmed that. Paul, on the the, the football side, I remember reading maybe from your good self uh, some articles a, a year ago, maybe even longer ago about the squad size and it being really bloated and almost yeah. two groups of players, you know, training at different spots at the, the training ground um is that more manageable now and i imagine there's going to be a lot of changes when the the close season does come which of the players that are out of contract have to stay next season for them to amount another challenge oh blimey that's a that's a very big question indeed you know uh, for a start i'd be looking at, at, at sammy amiobi he's been a he's been a great signing he only signed a one year deal and he came and i don't think i don't think people necessarily expected a huge amount from him i think there are a lot of people, uh, in fact, who were somewhat sceptical when he signed. He, he signed under Martin O'Neill, and I think people looked at him and thought, well, here's a, a six three, a six foot three inch forward kind of player, and they thought it meant that Martin O'Neill was going to be playing the long ball. <laughs> As we all know that, you know, it, it, Amiobi isn't that kind of player. I, I think even he'd admit that he's 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 not the best in the air for somebody who's so tall. But you know, he, he's coming in on a great job on the wing. You've got Michael Dawson, who's who's been. Uh, he's been out of the side recently, but he's still a huge leader, a huge character in the dressing room, and you'd want to see him stay. And and for me, Ben Watson has been player of the year, without a doubt. He's been absolutely fantastic. You know, he was told in the summer that he could leave, uh, but Sabri Lamucci came in, gave everybody a, a cliched clean slate, if you like, and, and, and Watson kind of took that opportunity. He's played every single game along with Joe Worrell. Uh, they're the only two players that have started every single championship game and he's been absolutely superb. He's been like the, the quarterback of the team, the, the brains of the team, as Lamucci calls him. And I think uh, if they were going to sign anybody down to a new deal this summer, it'd be him I'd be looking at as a starting point. He's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, but you're right, that there is there is a lot of dead wood that's been moved on and I, I think there's probably um, more work to be done on that front this summer as well because there's still there's still one or two players who, who aren't involved at all and who are earning some not massive money, but reasonably big money. People like Zach Clough, uh, who's nowhere near the first team pitcher, uh, Ben Elwain, Heffler, both good defenders, but are just down the pecking order. There's work to be done on this squad over the summer, but let's hope they're trying to prepare for a, a Premier League season if we're going to be really optimistic about it. <laughs> big decisions to make, no doubt about it. I mean, terrible year to be out of contract, I think, um, yeah. for a lot of players. On, on that subject then, you've seen more forest than any of us in the flesh this season. Are they good enough to gain promotion to the Premier League? And what's the verdict on, on Sabri Lamouche, who's become a bit of a, a bit of a cult hero, really, in, in, around the country, uh, not least for his, for his attire? Um, how good has he been? <laughs> he is the master of a turtleneck, isn't he? And I'm not sure I could pull it off. I look like a badly stuffed sausage. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's been brilliant. He's a really charismatic, charming character and more importantly and more specifically in the dressing room he's somebody that's really rallied the troops the the players universally seem to respect him they 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 appreciate his openness his honesty uh, he's very blunt very direct he will 
tell players why they're not in the team. He will tell players what he wants them to do when they are in the team. Everything is very clear. Everything is very precise. On the training ground, he apparently does things in, in quite short bursts and they're all very specific routines that will be very well explained. He'll do a routine and say, well, this is why I'm doing this because on Saturday I want us to be strong on set pieces or whatever. Everything he does is is for a reason. Everything is clear. And I think for somebody who arrived in, in the country, if we're entirely honest, as somewhat of an unknown quantity, I think uh, he's probably in quite a comfortable position now without being too cynical because Forrest... You know, if it was down to me, I'd, I'd be talking to him now about a new contract, trying to get him tied down. But if he doesn't stay at Forest, his, his stock has risen so much. I'm sure he'll he'll find himself a, another job somewhere else because he's done a a great job here, and 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 hopefully, hopefully, very much, hopefully, he'll be uh, he'll be at the City Ground again next season, whenever that is, because I think he's certainly done enough uh, to to get himself a, a further opportunity here. It's quite ironic that. In years gone by, in recent years, Forrest have, have given players fairly long uh, managers fairly long contracts on a fairly willy nilly basis, and and for the first time they've been a little bit more cautious about it, and they seem to have stumbled across the right man for the job. So so hopefully for the club, hopefully for him, and hopefully for the fans, they can they can get him tied down to a longer term future because I think he's earned it. Yeah, so say all of us Forest supporters. Um, <laughs> Paul, you've written a piece for the Athletic, crowning Matty Cash as, as Forest Young Player of the Year. Mm. We, we mentioned about where Lamouche is going to be next season. What this this AC Milan talk with Cash was that just paper talk? Was it? Was there anything concrete in that? No, there was interest. The, 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 there was an inquiry at the very least. Uh, it, it, it seems remarkable, doesn't it? You wouldn't have predicted that at the start of the season that a Matty Cash would be playing at, at right back and b Milan would be interested in signing him. The good thing that Forrest have got on their side is that Matty is quite a... He is fairly down to earth, but more specifically, he's got people around him who are very grounded as well. His dad actually played for Forrest many years ago, or Forrest Reserves more specifically. He never he never got into the first team, but he, he was actually signed by Martin O'Neill and was a full-back himself, Stuart. Uh, and I know he's a very big influence on on Matty and, and what comes next. And I, I think they're very much aware that if he stays at Forest next season, whether that's in the Premier League or in the Championship, he'll either be playing in the Premier League or he'll be playing in a team that hopefully will be pushing for promotion again and he'll be playing on a, a regular basis. He's only going to continue improving and only continue learning and if he hangs on just for another half season or another season, his stock's only going to rise. And that, that move will come from eventually. If he doesn't if he doesn't end up playing in the Premier League with Forrest, he'll get his opportunity soon enough to to get that big move and 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 go somewhere to it to further his career because he, he has been brilliant. He he was pushing for the for the senior player of the year award as well, if I'm honest. And it is great to see because he's a really nice lad and he puts a he's so honest and hard working. He he deserves everything he gets. Taylor, the Athletics' foremost forest forager for full-length articles there. Uh, Abby wrote that. Well done, Abby. Uh, quick one then, chaps. Human me. Forest for the Premier League if this season ever gets going again. Yes or no? Um, I'd rather you didn't say no. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's probably just the no from me. I think there's better no. teams that are going to be in the playoffs. That said, I know from speaking to friends of mine that work at the club at Brentford and at Fulham, they are the one team I think that they would want to avoid in the playoffs just because of the way that Lamushi has set them up on occasions, especially away from home. They did a job over over Brentford. So they would be a big threat in those uh, in the lottery of the playoffs. Yeah, dark horses. Um, I, I think there are better teams than, than Forest, But look, 
if you're stable defensively, you've always got a chance in cup competitions. And we know the playoffs are cup competitions. So, yeah, wouldn't rule them out. OK, I think Forrest will definitely get promoted. And I was quite neutral during that whole section, I think. And now, like the mist rolling in from the Trent, we must roll on to League One. One as in half the number of European Cups that Forrest will. Get great offers every day with William Hill. Join today and get £30 in free bets when you bet £10 using the promo code C30. Whether you like great prices, free bets or in-play scoreboards, William Hill has you covered. William Hill is who you play with. Promo code C30. New online customers only. Minimum £10 stake. Win only. Minimum odds 1-2. to two. Free bets paid as free £10 bets. 30-day expiry. Free bet payment method player and country restrictions apply. League One headlines. Accrington Stanley midfielder Sam Finley's been banned for eight games after being found guilty of using abusive language towards Rochdale's Paul McShane. He's also been fined 850 quid. In his statement, Finley said, I did make reference that Paul should go back to his caravan and that I was referencing his being Irish in doing so. Not cool. Bolton Wanderers players manager Keith Hill and his backroom staff have donated £4,000 to charity Urban Outreach UK, which provides food to those who need it during this time of crisis. And Southend have furloughed their six highest earners. They say they are best equipped to handle it financially, which is why they are doing it. Well, with the seriousness of club welfare and survival increasing more and more each day, there are a few people better to discuss what options are available and their impact than Tranmere Vice Chairman Nicola Pallia. She joins us now. Uh, Nicola, you're against the season ending now. From the conversations you've had with, with the AFL, do you think that that's the, the general consensus amongst clubs and, and stakeholders? And if so, why is that? I think there are mixed views and I think it's probably fair to say that the lower you go down the football pyramid, the keener people are to end the season now. You know, at the top end in the Premier League, they're still very keen to carry on playing in the championship. I think they they very much want to finish the season. But as you get lower down um, and as the financial pressures get worse, then there is, I think, more of a, a consensus starting to build that it's just not going to be practical for them to be able to finish the season. So in terms of the EFL, if, if as Rick Perry suggests, all the games will be streamed live upon the resumption of the season, are you are you likely to make much money from that at Tranmere? You know, obviously you're not going to have to pay stewards and catering staff, etc. But but are you actually going to come out with, with a reasonable amount of money to make it worthwhile doing? Um, I think... I think that will vary massively from from club to club. We have a a reasonably big following for the league. Well, we're we're probably about about mid-table in in terms of our following. So I think we would get a fair number. I think the cost of of, of using iFollow is around £10 per person. And obviously, in normal times, people sometimes get the iFollow feed and have a load of people around to watch it with them. And that's not going to happen now. So I would expect that we would get some revenue from that. And as you say, the costs are lower. But um, for clubs like us that own all of their own catering and bars, etc., then we lose all of that revenue. Uh, We lose things like the ability to sell the programme. So there's a lot of ancillary revenues that we wouldn't get. I think one of the the really serious issues, though, that that does need to be addressed is the way that iFollow is set up at the moment in terms of uh, the economic structure for it 
it massively favours the big clubs and prejudices the smaller clubs in a scenario like that. And the reason for that is if you are playing paying matches in, terms, uh, in front of a playing crowd, the home team keeps all of the gate revenue. So if you're Accrington Stanley playing Sunderland, and I, and I, I pick on Accrington because I think Andy Holt's been uh, quite vocal on this point for understandable reasons. If you're Accrington Stanley playing Sunderland on a real physical match with a paying crowd on a Saturday... Accrington get to keep all of the gate money from that and that will include a large contribution from obviously Sunderland supporters in in normal times. The iFollow model is completely different in that both teams can put it out on iFollow and the clubs keep their own revenue and that means that all of the Sunderland supporters would go through Sunderland's iFollow and Sunderland would keep that money and, and Accrington would get very little. And that's why it would be enormously problematic for the smaller clubs to play behind closed doors unless they agree to change that that revenue sharing or or change it such that you know only the whole, the home club has the streaming rights for that game. Yeah, yeah. No, it sounds like a yeah interesting point. Um, on. On the whole subject of finances, Andy Holt has also said that look, he almost can't afford for the season to start again. At the moment, the club is effectively in hibernation with pretty much everybody furloughed. Now, on that on that subject, we, we've seen Richard Branson, among others, sort of suggesting or asking for government bailouts for, for his airline, for example. Could we not see a scenario here where the government can either extend furlough, even even though the players aren't on leave, because there is no income for EFL clubs, or, or simply replace that money with some kind of bailout grant, just to keep these clubs going while they can't generate any income through through gate receipts? Is is that something that the EFL clubs are discussing or going to ask I, for I, I haven't in the, heard in the short it term? being discussed yet, but I think there is certainly an argument for looking at it. And one of the big reasons for that is for any other business, one of the, the things that was supposed to help keep them afloat through this time whilst they were prevented from operating was the government's business loan scheme. Well, I don't think a single football club will be able to benefit from the business loan scheme. And that is for the simple reason that the criteria that were applied were um, essentially that the banks would have lent to you in normal times. Well, no banks lend to football clubs nowadays. And the reason for that is even where you've got plenty of security for the loan, no bank wants to be seen to be the one who's foreclosing on a football club and putting it into liquidation because from a PR perspective, that would be an absolute disaster. And so I think the chances of any bank advancing one of these business support loans that the government brought in, which I think were were a, a great idea and principle, football clubs just aren't going to be able to benefit from those. And so I do think we need to look at a different way of being able to support clubs whilst they are unable to operate. Nicola, the idea of possibly regionalising the, the leagues has been brought to the table again in the last couple of days. Um, what's your thoughts on, on that? And, and would that go some way to safeguarding the lower league clubs' futures once we're through this obviously terrible mess we're in? 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm not a fan of regionalised at a, at a fully professional level. I think once you get to sort of semi-pro level, um, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think the game would lose a lot if, if it went uh, regional, certainly at the League One level where, where we're playing. I, I, I think it would be sad to see that happen. And, and I don't believe that the costs are, are actually that material. If you look at the cost of how much it costs clubs to travel to the away matches, in the scheme of things of how much it costs to run a football club, it's an absolute drop in the ocean. I, I appreciate that for individual supporters, it can be expensive to get to some of the, the, the games further away. But uh, I think it's something that, that I would not like to see happen if we can possibly avoid it. So that's one suggestion that, that's been uh, banded around to, to try and help things. Another one is the idea of a, a salary cap. Seems like it, it might happen in the short term. Are you, are you in favour of that as a, as a sort of permanent solution to... To getting finances on track, yeah, absolutely, and and I think you'll find you'll find uh, almost unanimity on this um, with uh, the EFL clubs, which is is actually quite an unusual position, <laughs> um, because this is something that has been brewing for years anyway, and really the the COVID crisis has just massively accelerated and exacerbated the scale of of the problem. So in a strange way, this current crisis, I think, has really given the burning platform that that the game needs to to get its financial house in order. And that's, that's a big, complex task. I think there's always an assumption that from EFL clubs that are are struggling financially, and it's no secret that there are many that do have been struggling financially, there's an assumption that um, how the EFL wants that to be fixed is by getting more money given down from the Premier League clubs. Well, that would serve absolutely no purpose whatsoever if we don't reform the fundamental model, because all that does is go straight into player wages, which gets even more inflationary and makes the problem worse, not better. If you give every club another million pounds from the Premier League, they will spend another million pounds on players. That's how it is in football. And if you want to remain competitive, you have to keep up with the the player wage market. So I think the only way you can change that is is by putting in a wage cap and a, a proper strict wage cap. The 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 salary cap management protocol is is so full of holes it's like Swiss cheese. Um, and it, it really doesn't it doesn't achieve what it was it set out to achieve. And I, I think, you know, things like the fact that you can sell your stadium to get round it is is a nonsense. And and it's been a really bad thing for a lot of clubs because you now find clubs have sold stadia and they're in, you know, a, a much more precarious uh, financial position as a consequence of it. So absolutely I would be in favour of salary caps and I I genuinely think that will happen. Nicola Palios, Tranmere Vice Chairman there. Uh, really interesting on, on the salary cap in particular, Adrian. There's a lot of loopholes to get round to, to get something like that legal, for one thing, I would suppose. But but you need to work out whether you, you're doing the cap as, as one thing across the league or whether it's based on you know turnover and size of the club, effectively. You know, Tranmere versus Sunderland is one that you've pointed out in terms of them both having very different budgets. 
Absolutely, yeah. It's it's how does it work? Is there going to be a set top top wage that that no one in the division can can exceed, or will it be based on on the individual finances of each club? I wonder. And then you really do need transparency because you you could, in theory, have clubs inflating figures so that their salary cap is is, is higher than than it should be. So we don't want to open up a new can of worms. It'll be fascinating development. I mean, she sounded very sure there that it will come into play. And I'm interested to know, I mean, Sam's more recently retired than I am. How how would the modern player, Sam, deal with that? How would they how would they feel about salary caps? Yeah, interesting dynamic. I, I know, I suppose, in MLS, there's something similar and you have marquee signings, designated players, but because maybe that's a developing league, they kind of welcome the international stars, the European big hitters with open arms maybe as they're trying to uh, publicise the league and uh, and get better sponsorship and more bums on seats. But, you know, it's very well established over here. Old clubs, you know, 100 years old. So I'm not sure how it would would uh, suit the, the, the modern player and how it would affect the dynamic in, in English EFL dressing room. Mm, and it could be an exodus, of course. Uh, a lot of talent might be lost to overseas where salary caps might not be in place. So so that's something to consider as well. Yep, going to be fascinating. I think football, when we do come back, is going to look very different to how it did before in all sorts of ways. All right, that's League One. Next, we'll begin building our League Two team of the season. Listeners, we want to tell you about a beautifully simple way to showcase and sell your photography. PicFerry is used by over 150,000 people worldwide. It's a free platform that allows anyone to sell their photos from complete amateurs like me to seasoned professionals, probably like some of you out there in Podland. And PicFair is so simple. All you do is upload your photos, name your price, and those pics will appear on your personal online photography store. Your photographs will also be listed on PicFair's central marketplace, where images taken by people who've never sold a picture before have been published by The Guardian, Time Out and Rough Guides, and they've even been used on the front cover of National Geographic. Alongside digital downloads, customers can also purchase your photos as beautiful frame prints and canvases. And whether you sell them through your own store or the marketplace, PicFair will produce the prints for you in high-quality labs and take care of all of the shipping. So if you've got time on your hands and you're wondering what to do with all of the brilliant photos you've got lying around on your hard drive or camera roll, go to pickfair.com and sign up for free today. That's P-I-C-F-A-I-R.com. Pickfair, a new home for your photography. League Two headlines. The clubs met on Tuesday to discuss growing unease over their ability to complete the season. Cambridge this week announced they furloughed players and Grimsby's Elliot Whitehouse has been charged by the FA with using racial language during a match with Northampton. Now, before we head into your League Two teams of the season, we're going to talk Leighton Orient because it's a year on from what should have been the start of a glorious return to the Football League. Nick Miller caught up with club captain Joby McEnough, who reflects on a strange, tragic and frustrating year for the O's. Listen, a year in football is a very, very long time at the best of times. You know, from our point of view, having to deal with the highs and the lows um, we've had to deal with. I mean, the, the, the high of getting promoted and, and everything that went into that was as, as high as I've been certainly in my career. And I, I don't know, that is the same for the majority of people at that football club during that time. 
So, you know, we're in a, a, I suppose, a state of euphoria, I suppose, as you are once you've achieved what we did last year. You know, everything around you is, is good. You're kind of looking forward. You know, you, you, you're obviously satisfied with the work you've done. So you're in a really good place. And then obviously to sort of be so quickly brought to the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you know, with everything that happened with, with Justin passing away was complete extremes in terms of, you know, emotionally and, you know, you, you couldn't get two more opposite ends of the scale, really. So I think the season following on from that has been very, very strange, very up and down. You know, we've had good moments, we've had bad moments, we've had, you know, moments that have been difficult to, to get through. So yeah, it's been very, very up and down this year. It's um, you know been a, a difficult one to to get to grips with, but you know we've all tried our best and, and tried to make the best of the the situation that we find ourselves in. JB McEnough on the impact of Justin Edinburgh's passing on the club and the players. Sam, just looking at the League Two table as was when we stopped last month. Orient miles away from trouble. Uh, are we giving them enough credit, given the tumult around the club over the past year and the tragedy that they've suffered? I think so, because I think they've got some good players. I think the supporters would maybe argue that they could have done slightly better. And I think the jury's probably out over Ross Embleton's uh, position still. But yeah, given the, the circumstances, the horrendous time that they've had just remaining in the division, they have to get some credit for that. And I think that the squad and the team is better now than what started in in August. I worried about them defensively and I thought the goalkeeper was a huge issue. So to get Lawrence Vigarou in and try and play the type of football that Ross likes to play will put them in good stead moving forward. And the other signing, Cissé, has been a revelation by all accounts. Danny Johnson's come down from Scotland. He's got two already and I think six games. He's the predator, I think, that uh, they needed moving forward. They were a bit uh, one-dimensional. They're three target men really to rotate up there. So I think the squad is is looking better. And they've also settled on a formation now after tinkering early part of the season between a back three and a back four. The 4-3-3 percentage-wise in terms of wins is a lot stronger than in any of the other formations. So I think Ross has got something to work with, but probably needs slightly better players to try and adopt the type of football that he'd like to do moving forward. Well, for more from JB McEnough, and it's a, a brilliant interview with Nick, head over to the totallyfootballshow.com where you can read the comments in full. That's the totallyfootballshow.com. Abby will post a link in the podcast description to make it even easier for you. Now, it's time, lads. Team of the season, League Two edition. Uh, just before we start, we'll deal with the fallout of League One. Sam, not good reading for you. We put your respective teams to the public and they voted... Adrian Clark United, 59.7% of the vote was Come the preferred on. team. Sam Park in Rangers, just 40.3%. So it's a 2-0 unassailable lead for Adrian. Sam, what have you got to say to the public? Have you let them down or vice versa? I think given that Clark, he's got 10 times the Twitter followers of me. Maybe he's mobilising <laughs> the Arsenal fraternity. And now they haven't got anything to moan about i.e. Arsene Wenger, will he stay or will he go? Maybe they're just jumping on these poles and back in the gunner. That's so all I can go with. Because you're just insulting their intelligence. Then. You're just, Absolutely. They're, blind, they're blindly following me. <laughs> they have you no knowledge a few of... more Twitter followers <laughs> soon, Sam. And you they have no be, uh, knowledge of lower league football. <laughs> no knowledge of lower league football. They're only interested in 
where Aubameyang's going to play, wide left or down the middle or wide right. Come on. Good grief. Sam, your on managerial career is over before it's even started. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get to League Two, Sam. You can uh, at least get a, a consolation goal back here. As per League One, we'll do defence this week and attack next. Clarky, what formation have you gone for, first of all? I am going to go for a 4 1 4 1, if that's permissible, um, with the powers that be. So, yeah, that's. That's, that's the shape I'm looking for. You could call it a 4-3-3, I guess. OK, well, Abby's the powers that be and she's dropped off the video call, so I say yes, that's fine. Sam, what's your formation? Yeah, similar, I think. Yeah, could do 4-1-4-1. More of 4-3-3 with two kind of attacking midfield players, one sitting. Specific. Sam, who's your, who's your keeper? Yeah, this has been the toughest, I think. The, 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 the back five, uh, League Two. Not loads of standouts, Keeper, I'm going for Alex Palmer at Plymouth on loan from West Brom. I think to play in a Ryan Lowe's team, you have to be pretty composed with a ball at your feet. He certainly can do that. Um, Joint most clean sheets in the division, 13 with Cornell at Northampton. And top of all the the stats charts, along with an old former teammate of mine, actually, Glenn Morris at Crawley. But considering Glenn has conceded uh, eight more goals, Palmer's going to get the nod for me. Clarky, did you pick somebody different? No, I didn't. No, I went for Alex Palmer as well. Um, yeah, his he's save percentage rate is the third best in the league, but it's the best of all the promotion chasing sides. He's actually been the busiest keeper in terms of making saves out of all those that are at the, the top end of the table. Yep, no, for all the reasons Sam outlined uh, on loan, Alex Palmer gets the, gets the nod. Uh, let's stay with you then, Clarky, and give us your two fullbacks, please. Two fullbacks, yeah. Um, really impressed with Crew, in particular uh, the right back Perry and G. Um, I think he's been the standout in that position this season. Gets forward really well. Just looks a very accomplished player, and um, yeah, just I mean it's difficult because we don't see these League Two teams on the TV or in the flesh as much as we'd like, but from you know, from from people that do do know Crew and that have seen a lot of them, he's he's been a standout. On the other side, I've I've been a bit harsh on on George Cooper at Plymouth. I've left him out. A lot of assists for him, but I'm going to go with a player that that I do know a bit more about, and that's Cohen Bramwell, um, who was at Arsenal as a young boy. He was plucked from non-league to Arsenal, never made it. He's ended up at Colchester. I think he's had a terrific season. The locals have been raving about him. Good going forward. Excellent in the cup runs as well. So Cohen Bramble, left back, Perry and G, right? Well, I've got the same right back. I won't um, tell you any more really about him, but just I don't know what he's doing in League Two really, to be honest, from what I've seen of him. And also, I'm a, I don't know how this has happened, but I'm a recent convert to Championship Manager, I think because of the, the, the late nights and the lack of sleep that I'm finding other little hobbies and I signed him for QPR and he's been the best player every week so the computer stats men know surely some scouts in the real game should uh, take note and someone should sign Perry and G from higher up the ladder because he's been exceptional and my left back Bramwell was in the running and um, Pickering at crew but I didn't want to have two crew fullbacks I'm making an exception here because I'm going for a lad who's only played 24 times in League Two this season, I'm going for Joseph Mills at Forest Green. The reason okay. being, seven goals, six assists. He's top in both those charts for Forest Green. He hasn't played in the last eight. Forest Green have won once in that run. So he is probably their most important player and scores goals. Very tough defender as well. And quick story, 
when I was at Swindon, he was a local lad-ish, I think, and his brother Matt Mills, who went on to have a good career. And my then manager, Andy King, called me for a favour to try and get them to sign for Swindon when they must have been early teens. So I went into the dressing room and told them about Swindon would be great for their development. They should come here. They'll get in the first team. And they both subsequently went and signed for someone else. So there you go. <laughs> OK, so you're not going to be an agent. You're not going to be a manager. Um, uh, let's move on. Clarky, who have you got as your two centre-halves? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, there's a lot of good centre-halves. Um, yeah, honourable mention for Northampton's Charlie Good. I think he's been good this year good by name good by nature but yeah I've picked two players from from excellent defences one from Cheltenham I think that any of the back three at Cheltenham could probably there's not a lot to choose between them they've been um, very consistent really impressed with Cheltenham but I'm going for Charlie Raglan to be my centre half and alongside him I'm going for another Colchester United player I know um, I, I just don't think we've talked enough about their their defensive qualities this season I think they've been superb without the ball and Tom Eastman is uh, is a is immense for them. He's very consistent, a real leader in the team, and and I haven't heard a Colchester United fan say say a bad word about Tom Eastman. So Eastman and Ragland for me at centre half. Sam, yeah, it's still two from three for me. So I'm glad Clarkie's gone first. I'm going to go with Ragland as well. He had a bad injury at Oxford few years ago behind Dickey and I think it was Curtis Nelson at the time so he's had to rebuild his career really going to Port Vale on loan now to Cheltenham um, and really got going this season and 27 goals they've conceded Cheltenham the next best is 37 so they've been incredible and obviously Michael Duff a great defender himself Raglan's got a brilliant range of passing he'd be my right sided centre half mm-hmm. my left side I'm tempted to go with Charlie Good for the two Charlies but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Nathan Smith at Port Vale. Now this is a lad 24 years of age. He's had a brilliant understanding with Leon Leg this year. 237 games already in his career. Recently passed 200 for Port Vale. Well on his way to becoming a legend there. Out and out defender. Um, very tough. Quick across the ground as well. I think they complement each other well. And he's been linked with a host of championship clubs out of contract in the summer. Looks like he'll move on. So I'm going to go with Raglan and Smith and Charlie Good's long throw. We'll have to wait for another day. <laughs> nice. So there's the defences. Clarky, do you have a holding midfielder to round things I d- off? I do, yeah. I was really torn about this one. I was going to stick Swindon's uh, Anthony Grant in there because uh, I think he's been really good. And I know Sam's a fan, but... I want a footballer there. I want a, I want a deep line playmaker, someone because it's very technical that wants the ball. And he's also a defensive minded player. He's played, I think, four league games this season at centre half, but he's primarily a defensive midfielder, and that's Cruz Ryan Wintle. I think he's um he's earned rave reviews there this season under Artel, a player, a developing player, and probably someone a little bit like the player that Sam was talking about there at Port Vale that can go on and, and perform at a higher level. So so Ryan Winter is my um, deep line playmaker. Sam, is this where we get your first Swindon pick? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think only the Exeter player Atangana, Nigel Atangana, could maybe have a shout in this role. But Anthony Grant's the only player going in my front players. Well, uh, in front of them, the defence, he's got a defensive bone in his body. He's been outstanding. I'd put him probably second in level of importance just behind Doyle uh, at Swindon. He's been that good coming in from Shrewsbury. Aggressive, 
tackler. Um, he can play as well, but he's been so pivotal to, to Swindon's success. I was with him briefly at Luton when he was a young lad and uh, knew him coming through at Chelsea just after me as well. So nice lad, uh, strong boy. And I think in League Two, Clark, he's made a mistake there. You need an enforcer <laughs> in the midfield. Fighting talk from the man 2-0 down on the public vote. Uh, Caroline will bring the attack next week. And if you're not entirely sure why Clarkie and Parkey are picking the players they are, well, I can recommend the EFL on Quest upon the EFL's return. Whilst we all wait for football to come back, one thing you can do is stick a favourite button on the best place to get all your EFL highlights. Find the EFL on Quest on Freeview Channel 12, Freesat 167, Sky 144, Virgin 217, or just head to questod.co.uk. That's just about it for this week. Seeing as top five lists are the new going out, I'm going to ask you the one that's doing the rounds at the moment, namely five films you deem perfect. I've been asked this on Twitter, so I'm going to give mine and my nominations there for our Sam and Adrian. I am going for... In no particular order, Goodfellas, Four Weddings and a Funeral, the cartoon version of Robin Hood, Donny Brasco, and Beyond the Mat. Um, Sam, would you like to re- react off the back of that? Presumably you've got at least four of those five in yours. Mate, love Four Weddings, but the last scene, oh, it's <laughs> dreadful in the rain. Yeah, yeah. Falls yeah. down. That but- is poor, but it, it can't bring down what is one of the best pieces of uh, cinematic art that has ever been produced in this Mate, or any other country. It's unbelievable, and I see John Hanna most days of my life. So wow. for that reason only, it should be well, in there. Uh, why? Because he lives in Richmond, so I see wow. him frequently, and I love it every time. <laughs> love it. Um, th- th- I've gone for, I'll only give you a reason for the last one. I've gone Shawshank Redemption, the best. Pulp Fiction, iconic. Godfather, life-changing. Forrest Gump, got to watch it if it's on. Even if you Got have Forrest one in the scene. title, which is good, yeah. And the last one, probably due to having a, an older sister, and we watch this every day, if not twice, Greece. <laughs> it's the word it's got groove and it's got meaning Clarky did it make your it's, list it's great now Greece didn't but I do like it um, I've gone for Silence of the Lambs um, read the book before the film before watching the film back in the day I like both. Brainy, eh? love, love, love both uh, Usual Suspects just love, love Kaiser Soze uh, Goodfellas as well for me the best in the genre of, of, of sort of uh, gangster films Pulp Fiction I just I love Tarantino. I, I like all the films, but Pulp Fiction is is perfection for me. And I've actually changed it because I did tweet tweet my five. I've dropped Senna, which I loved. I thought it was one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, I've dropped it for the Sound of Music, which which I should never have omitted. Um, absolutely <laughs> beautiful film, and I performed a stage version of the Sound of Music as a twelve year old at middle school, and. It was glorious to be part of it. Stayed with me forever. I still know all the songs off by heart and uh, I would happily sit through it back to back. The sound of music has to be in there. Clark, it's funny you should say that because when you're on family holidays with other families when you're kids and you're acting out, you're doing your performances in the evening. There's not many male parts in the sound of music. So I was always guaranteed, you know, to get a role. And that that was a a, a, if we weren't doing Greece, sound of music was high up there. 
Captain Von Trapp. I was I was Franz the Butler, which which was a a, a fairly minor role. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't really know what to say other than I'm surprised that I'm the only one who didn't put a musical in there. Um, if you've got footage, by the way, of that school play with Clarkie in it, uh, seeing as we played some audio, be scoring a goal, it'd be lovely to drop that in to <laughs> next week's show. Um, all right, thanks as ever to Sam and Adrian and to you too, listener. For now, though, it is goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. of the Totally Scottish Football Show and if you like football you're gonna love Scottish football it's not all just Stevie G and Scott Brown up here no because we talk about all of the Scottish football and geez oh it's great there's actually a title race this year in the Premiership Stevie G will be hoping not to slip up again Hearts are tearing each other a new one Motherwell are doing well well they're doing well so if you like your football to be competitive have a title race and a ton of drama off and on the pitch the totally scottish football show is most definitely for you grab scottish football by the boys just like ryan christie did and listen to the totally scottish football show available everywhere even in england muddy knees media